Hey, I'll give you a quick update. Those of you who see me stumbling around. So October 8th, I was in a motorcycle accident and um, had to have surgery on my foot and put some plates in and screws. But it has really been an amazing experience. Um, I was riding a motorcycle and uh, I went from about 30 miles an hour to my forehead in the concrete into the pavement of the highway. Don't always wear a helmet. So my first, literally my, my first thoughts were, like I could not believe how hard my head hit the highway. And I really thought, I don't always wear a helmet. I think it was a good thing I wore my good helmet that day. And uh, so it, it's been, I knew I'd gotten hurt and I knew my foot was messed up and I've got a little bump in my shoulder here, bone sticking up, but I immediately got, you know, about 45 minutes later, an ambulance showed up and I was given these marvelous drugs and I'm, I'm riding down the canyon. I was on Highway 72 up outside of Netherland. I'm hiding down the canyon. I was thinking about my friend who I had visited, my acquaintance in, outside of Nairobi, who runs a hospital there, a doctor, the only doctor, in a room quite large, two rooms quite large. One, one side was just women, wall to wall to wall to wall. The other side, wall to wall to wall. As you walked into the hospital, people literally camped out in the grass waiting for an opportunity who had walked from Somalia. Some people with bones sticking out. The most horrific things, and I'm, I, I had this sense, oh my gosh, I'm riding like on a pillow with drugs going to a hospital. And um, so for the most part, everything has been, it's really been in a, a, like it couldn't have gone better for me. So I'm, I've been very, very grateful. As it relates to our conversation today, I'm going to f- kind of steer this conversation because you see, I've, I've been sort of using this word that we're going to talk about in a way that is not necessarily accurately. See, I've been, my only sort of anticipatory event is will I be able to walk normally because I crushed my navicular and, and so I have this sense. I, I ho- I've been using it. I hope I can walk without a limp. The reason I say that it's, I don't know that I'm using the word accurately is you see, in the Bible, almost always when this word shows up, it shows up against the backdrop when it makes more sense not to hope. It, it would, the reasonable expectation when the word hope is used most often in the Bible is that you wouldn't hope. Like all the evidence is stacked against you. Hope is, if you were in the, in the roulette game of life, it is putting all your chips on green double zero, the worst odds in the casino. And that's where hope lives. I am... Um, I have a pretty good chance I probably will walk normally. I've got going to be able to go to therapy, and I've had a good surgeon. And, um, so I wish, I, I guess I'm making this distinction because I want us, as we're talking about this word, I don't want us to confuse the way we, and it's not, a bad, it's not bad to use it. I'm not dissing that when we, man, I sure hope I you know, get a new Nintendo for Christmas. But that's different. I'm just expressing it's different than the way we're going to be using that word. That the word as we're going to talk about it is rooted in, a, in the improbable, but the always. That's what's so weird about it. It's improbable to all observant people, all, all given facts. And yet it always 
the promise of God will always, always come through. And in a sense, it never should. So that's what's kind of fun about it. So I'm going to read for you the, this passage in a little more depth that we heard earlier. And out of this passage, I'm looking in a narrow focus into the life of our, our brother Joseph. And we're going to see the story of hope that emerges from this story. Now, the birth of Jesus happened this way while his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but he did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. So we're going to talk about hope and hopelessness. A quick little outline to throw on top of this passage is this idea of what would be reasonable Hopelessness would be, in a sense, reasonable. And I'll give you two examples. Because you see, hope is always rooted in some idea of the future. So in other words, it goes like this. Joseph's future family life will not be what he thought it was going to be. That's for sure. And his future place in the community is gone. That's his future. That's the backdrop. Backdrop to what a person of hope emerges from. I, I want to um, give us an experience together. So here's what I need. I need four brave people who would be willing to come up here and sing Jingle Bells with me. We're only going to sing the first line. It's not, not, not going to do the whole thing. Your memory won't be taxed. It's just Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way. Uh, oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells. So come on up. I just need four people. All right, I need four of you. All right, come on. One more. Okay, anybody else? Here they come. All right, we even got an even group. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Well, we'll wait for our last friend here. And then here's what I need. I need you guys to line up here just in front of me and face me for just a moment. Just face me for just one moment. And here's what I'm going to promise you that this won't be bad. It's going to be better than you thought. So face me. Kind of just kind of go shoulder to shoulder so people can't see what's going on. All right. <laughs> Ready? All right. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in on horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in on horse open sleigh. Hey! All right, there we go. All right. You want to stick a second in your pocket, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. 
kind of kinky stuff. Isn't it? Is that fun? All right, give them a big hand. That was awesome. So I um, I, I, my my grandmother was a really good singer and she grew up in Sweden and was somewhat known for being a great singer and when I was a child and I was as a child would do early early memories I would be singing in the house and my grandmother would ask me to stop because I had no ability to carry a tune and it offended her so I was from all my childhood I was forbidden to sing out loud in front of my grandmother when I married my my wife is an amazingly good singer and has done a lot of singing and um, both my children are very good singers. I have been in church singing with my family, caught up in the spirit, when a small child's hand will cover my mouth. <laughs> and my son has grabbed my hand to get me back in rhythm when we're trying to clap because I do not know how to do rhythm. I've always wanted to sing in public, but it's always scared me. It's kind of been, for lack of a better word, it's been a hope of mine. Hope, it, it, is, uh, it takes courage. You guys display courage. But, but hope is, um, it, it's, it's rooted in, in a promise. See, I told you it wasn't going to be so bad. I, I told you that, you know, it, it, it's, it, the, 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 the public singing is not going to humiliate you in the way, because nobody's really going to focus on your singing. Nobody even noticed what you were saying. They just noticed your silly mouth. And hope has this ability to be better than we ever thought. What do people of hope look like? There's this part of the story that I, I've read over several times. I've tried to imagine. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man. And because he did not want to disgrace her. People of hope do not have a need to make things fair. Now, I'm not going to romanticize something that happened 2,000 years ago. I don't know that it's not like Mary and Joseph went on a date and they were at the drive-in and they fell in love and, you know, had this romantic courtship. That's probably not how this went. It's possible, you know, they were from a fairly small town. And it's possible that, that their parents almost after their births had somehow been friends and made arrangements. There could have been, for a long time, he could have known that Mary would be the person that he was going to be married to. It was probably less romantic than what we're familiar with. But, but it doesn't change the elements of the stories that, that, like us, a person invests into their future and into their hopes and into their dreams and the way you think about life and family. They, you're invested in this partner. But much more impactful in that day than today would be the story of being betrothed. Because you see, betrothed was similar to our engagement, but it was sort of like you got married, but then the, the marriage was consummated sometime in the future. So there was what we, what we think of as engagement was, was a much more serious commitment. You, there wasn't like opting out of that in the same way that we might have, with no consequence. And that's why there's all these references to when they had relationship. 
intimate relationship. That was sort of the, the consummation of the wedding that had maybe already taken place. Sort of two ceremonies. And so in that in-between time, Joseph has placed everything into this, this, this woman, his, his future, his life, his reputation, everything. And she's pregnant. That's all he knows. And he knows it ain't his baby. So why would he not want to disgrace her? She has completely disgraced him. He's not going to get around that. I don't care how you read the story. I don't, there, there is no workaround to the public disgrace that Joseph is going to experience. You know what I think is one of the harder verses in the scriptures? And it shows up lots of times in many different ways, but in a nutshell, you, you remember it being said like this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that would be awesome if God actually held up his end of the deal, right? <laughs> like, that would be great. I would have no problem with the verse. If, in fact, I had one experience of where God did something to somebody that I wanted him to do. And he never has. Oh, he has unleashed a fury of mercy. Not what I had in mind when I let go of my vengeance. One of the ways I know that I'm beginning to slip into hopelessness. This is weird. I can tell by how I drive. Just this week, I was um, merging onto I-25. And there was on my right, I saw on my right, a fairly large truck. And I knew it would be difficult for him to get in. And so I slowed down and flashed my lights and let him in. And as I did, there was a young woman, because I, I looked right at her in a small little Suzuki car. I even remember all the details. And she immediately sped up and tailgated to take advantage of the gap that I had left. Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, I was in one of those moods. I cannot take another injustice in this world. I cannot take another moment when life is not fair. I cannot do it. I forced her onto the shoulder. For a nanosecond, I felt awesome. And then I felt like crap the rest of my trip. I was so embarrassed. But it revealed something in me that I'm teetering. I know I'm teetering on this edge of hopelessness. And so I like this story. People of hope don't have a need to make things, quote, <laughs> fair. People have confronted, people of hope confront their fears courageously. They don't bury their fears. They don't ignore their fears. Their fears aren't true or real. Here in the, the story, it, it goes like this. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid 
to take Mary as your wife. Why would he be afraid to take her as his wife? Why, how, when does fear and marriage come together? Well, well, that is redundant now that I think of it. Um, <laughs> that's a different sermon. But um, because this is going to be humiliating. You see, the family that he had dreamed to have is no more. The future that he had dreamed to have is no more. He was a religious, respected man. That's going to be gone. It will never be the way that he thought it would be. Here's what's an interesting part as we enter stories in the Bible. You see, I could interview every one of you and not one of us is living the life we thought we would live. Not one of us. And yet, we're continually afraid of that continual change. It doesn't mean it's necessarily disappointing. It doesn't mean it's, I'm not saying it's turned out bad. But when you were 20, if you were 50, this is not, you're not living exactly what you thought you would be living when you were 20 and you are now 50. It doesn't mean it's bad. I can guarantee you it's different. People of hope confront their fears of future. They're courageous. People of hope are um, rooted in promises. There's some that show up here in this passage. Um, Angel, again speaking, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her. You get the idea that this is sort of early in the pregnancy. He doesn't really know what's happening. He's just, he's, he's being told what's happened. He's being told that she's pregnant. I don't know that at this point he even has evidence of that. But you don't have to wait that long. You see, not all promises take a long time to fulfill. He doesn't have to wait that long. Maybe three months. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a long time since my, I was in that. I don't know. When, I don't know when you start to show. But let's say a couple months. Then, he, then it, it goes on. Um, and she will give birth to a son. So he had to wait exactly nine months for that promise. So he's being given this promise, but he doesn't really have evidence. He's kind of banking on it. He's put all his chips on that, but he only has to wait nine months. Oh, yep, there's a boy. I can see that right away. That's a long time. I mean, it's a long time to wait. There's a little anxiety. I was told it was a boy. What if it's a girl? What am I going to name her? Josephina? I don't know. But you don't have to wait a ton of time. He's rooted in the promise. But, but here, here, here's, here's one. Because he will save his people from their sins. We have no record that Joseph actually saw that happen. Our assumption seems pretty well documented that he, he was dead before the crucifixion and resurrection of this boy that he raised. And yet it is in this promise, it is in this promise that he has jettisoned his future hope for what family and life would look like. In this promise, 
That's why I believe he's a person of hope. Hope is rooted in a promise. Let's say that I offered you an employment opportunity, and here's the employment opportunity. I will pay you $5 an hour to work 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, six days a week. So I'm going to pay you $5 an hour, but you have to work six days a week, 80 hours per week. How many would be willing to take me up on that for one week? No takers? Two? Can you imagine doing that for three years? Can you imagine for three years working for $5 an hour, 80 hours a week, six days a week? But what if I came and I whispered in your ear, if you will fulfill three years of employment with me under these conditions, I will give you a $2 million bonus at the end. What would seem impossible to even accomplish in a day would be no problem to figure out how to do for three years if at the end of the three years you knew you got a $2 million bonus. What would be excruciating, almost impossible to accomplish becomes almost joyful and no big deal. Rooted in the promise, at the end of three years, you would get $2 million. Now, I don't know your income. Some of you don't seem too excited about that. I don't know. Did I? Maybe I shot low. I may be in the wrong audience. I'm used to my people, all right? I could have said $50,000 and people would have been jumping off the roof, so I don't know. But, like, that's not, that's not going to be the amount of money I'm ever going to make in my entire life. You get the idea. A, 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 Hope is not, you know, I mean, we use it in a way that's wishful and that's fine, but really hope is, is a promise on a future, something down the road. One more, and that is that hope. Now, this is one of those moments where um, it, it really is kind of like... Um, Sunday school for six-year-olds. Like, I don't know if you remember, I, I wasn't really a Sunday school kid, but I have the sense that regardless of what the question was, if you just said Jesus at the end, you had a 98% chance of being right. I'm going to tell you, I don't mind that. I like that in church that when I ask a rhetorical question, you got a 98% chance of just going, Jesus, just kind of Tourette's blasted out. And it and this is one of those moments, you, you know it's going to come, but I'll, I'll show you what I mean. So, people of hope are anchored to Jesus. It's, um, it's found in this look. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him God with us. The promise of God for us that is where we have anchored our hope Hebrew 6 uses that phrase it says anchored to hope and the answer is Jesus imagine in a moment and you know use your um, memory to picture a, a harbor in which there's all those boats and ships the water is 
glassy still, not a, not a breeze. The ships are static in the water. You don't know which boats are anchored or what they're anchored to because the water is still. You, you have no idea. But if a storm comes, that will reveal the, the veracity of the anchor, what they're anchored to. My wife and I and some of my daughter's friends, we rented a, a, a small little catamaran down in the Caribbean, and we just went putzing around from little island to little island, and I recall that some, some weather was coming, and we're desperately searching. There's these little, what they do is they, in some of the coves, there's a little buoy, a little orange ball that says that this is a, there's an anchor underneath that. And you're desperate. And then, of course, there's people, you know, they're all filled up. And you're desperately trying to find one of those because we're in a little tiny boat. And we don't want to be, we don't want to be in that storm. But once you get hooked to that, like you just, you can just relax. Let it blow. Because we're not going anywhere. We're anchored. But it's the, only the storm that reveals the anchor. That, that's why hope is really always set in the contrast of when it, it doesn't make sense to be hopeful. The odds are against you. For instance, here's some optional anchor points you and I have attempted in our lives. We have attempted to anchor our hope into another person, into a relationship. Most of us have had that experience. It's what we call codependence. My life is hooked to your life. We've, if you're like me, I've, I've tried anchoring my life into my possessions, what we call materialism. I've often, often, so often, tried to anchor my life into my position, or what I would call now pride. The anchor that is promised to us is Emmanuel. It is God with us. Now, just a side note, you might be thinking that Joseph had a slight advantage because he had this dream. I'm going to give you my opinion. I'll bet you Joseph would trade one dream for 66 books compiled together in a cohesive story of the relentless love of God for you. So you might be thinking, oh, well, Joseph had sort of this extra little effort to know it was God. I don't believe that's true. I'm not saying dreams don't happen today, and you may have had some dreams, but I'm saying in Joseph's case, I would take my 66 books over one dream. It's not for lack of evidence that I don't anchor to Jesus. It is for lack of courage that I don't anchor to Jesus. All right, so that's what people of hope look like. I did this message sort of backwards. I want to spend just a second to talk about what do hopeless people look like. Victor Frankl, in his um, book, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl was a, a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist actually, I believe, um, an existential philosopher, but he was um, a survivor of the Holocaust. And while there, he had begun his logos therapy and was working on that treatise. And um, 
and, and there he, he observed how people survived the Holocaust. He, he makes these observations. One, some people survived through sheer brutality. They, they cut off any sense of care for another person and they would do anything and were willing to do anything to survive. The Nazis took advantage of that and they would put Jews who had, they noticed perhaps, um, shown that this would be their survival instinct and put them in charge of some of the gulags and the work camps and concentration camps. He said some people's response to the horrors was what they called, he called Muslim. I don't know if that's a Yiddish word or a Hebrew word, but it, it is described as a, what we would know as in, in infants, as a failure to thrive. He, he documents that he would see someone who was, quote, living, who was going to work, who was trying, and then they would wake up one day and he could sort of see in their eyes they had given up all hope. They had resigned themselves to hopeless, hopelessness. And without an intervention, they never survived. He documents, at least on one occasion, but I think maybe even more, how within just days of nothing changing other than a person's sheer desire to be alive, he would see them expire. And then the third was people who would live for something beyond themselves. A memory of a, and hope of a relationship with a wife. For him, it was his project that he was working on, trying to work on this, his, his sort of philosophy of life. He had begun that before his incarceration. I, 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 I don't know about the brutality piece. I can't really speak to that. I suppose I've seen that in some people, but I haven't seen that in the same way that I suppose folks that are in the Aleppo or Mosul have experienced that. But I have seen this failure to thrive. I've seen that a lot. I also want to recognize that this is, this is Advent season. This is the holidays. And that the holidays place some people at greater risk for this than any other time of the year. And I want to acknowledge that. I, I've, a few times in my life, have bumped up against failure to thrive, absolute hopelessness. I've, I've been the one who found my friend who suicided. I've, um, I've been the first call. I've been in those moments. I've got in my file a letter that was sent to me and I received after her death. So I, I'm not, I wanna, I wanna acknowledge, not for everybody, for a small fraction of people in this room, but I, I just wanna say that there's some, I, I'm worried this time of year for people. And I wanna give you the earliest first sign to what eventually can lead to horrific consequences. And it's in a simple little statement, and it goes like this. I don't care. I just don't care. I don't mean in a, 
there's a way in which that can be used in a real positive way. Like I've, I've let go of some things and I'm thriving because I've let go. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I've shut down. I, I, I'm in that failure to thrive. You may not recognize it, but what I'm telling you, if you begin to tell yourself, as you, as you used to hope about family things, about how the family might look for you, married or not married, children or not children, that you had, and you begin to say, I don't care anymore. But really what you mean is, I, I can't care anymore. I'm too afraid to care. I can't experience another disappointment. In recovery, we call it a case of the, and it rhymes with buckets. And I will say, I, I'm cautious on using that word, but, but there's sometimes when a word is the right word because it, dis, it, it expresses the ethos and the, the thing inside that, almost like in Romans 8, when I don't really have the right word, but it's, it's a gross enough word to say it, and that's what it is. When you hear in your inner voice, oh, bucket. I, I, I can tell you this in my own experience. That preceding any binge I've ever had, whether it's food, booze, or sex, has been preceded always with, I don't care. Oh, bucket. It doesn't matter. Because I am all alone and I have no chance at a joyful future. Oh, bucket. This morning, I, I, I thought what I'd like, there, there's, you know, life is big and broad and complex and there's lots of moving parts. But I, I thought for maybe today, if, if we could maybe limit our focus just for a little bit, just maybe in, to the experience that I've noticed in Joseph's life, which is really just about family and about your own future. I... Um, I certainly have a lot of fears and worries and whatnot. I, you know, I've got a family, but personally where I'm most struggling today is this idea of future. I feel myself teetering on, I don't care anymore. I'm tired of trying to care. I'm, I'm struggling with hope. I, um, I didn't think I would be almost 56 and still wondering, what am I going to do? What, what, what am I going to be in the world? <laughs> so here's what I'd like for us to do. That's my story. I, I'd like for you to, if you can, if, if, if you're comfortable with this, I'd like for you to... Close your eyes and be alone for just a moment. And I'm going to pray just a little short prayer for you. And then we're going to listen together for the whisper that God is with us. So Father, you, you know in way greater detail than I've shared today my struggle to be hopeful.
to be courageous, to cling to a promise, to even find Jesus. You know that. Lord, I pray that in the few moments that were quiet, your spirit would come to us and reveal to us those places where out of fear we have said, I don't want to care anymore. Oh, bucket. Reveal to us, show us that as we sit quietly for just a few moments. I share with you now, I say, I say to you, what is, my, what is my intention and what I want? Help me let go of the control of trying to make life fair and work the way I think it should. Oh God, help me face my fear of the future and to name it, call it what it is, Oh God, all those things that I know you've promised me. Oh God, help me unhinge my anchor from my profession, from what I do, from who knows me. I desperately need to hook back into Jesus. Help me do that. Help me do that. Amen. And so we will practice together hope, an act of great hope that makes to those watching the scripture say in one sense really no sense. <laughs> like why would, we, why would we do this every week? Why would we once again break bread and, and so proclaim the Lord's death until his return? Because this is our hope. This is our promise. This is God with us. I wanted to say something about why I, I like that we're all together. You see, some, some, my, some of you in this room, you love this season. Don't be embarrassed about that. Some of you are filled with unbelievable hope. You have, you have extra hope. So, you see, it's us together. It, 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 there's a sense in which we're also collective. And we can borrow each other's hope. You can help me a little bit. I can see your hope. And I like that. And then my hopelessness can be halved as you bear my burden with me. But all promises, the answer is always Jesus. And so why this sacred moment is of enormous value, it's especially valuable to those who struggle with hope. This is the time to taste and see that the Lord is good. It, the night that he was betrayed, he broke the bread and said, eat this. This is my body which is broken for you. And I suppose he knows that hope and faith and trust and courage are hard for us. He knows that. He's not shaming us for that. He's given us a way out. And then he, he took the cup. And after he thanked the father again, he said, uh, this cup is 
the blood of the new covenant. A covenant is a deal. Here's a new deal. You thought the deal was all about you. It's not about you. I'll take it all. I'll take the whole deal. The light cup is the juice. Is that right? I always ask that, but it looks like wine. But Okay. I'm going to trust that that's right. Okay, all right, thank you. Not in the color of cups. And in the brown cup will be the wine. I don't know, some of you, I don't know who's here, you know, I, I know if you've been around here long enough, you've heard this, but... This may be your first time, and you may be from a tradition where there was a, a, a sort of a, a gate about who got to come in and who didn't get to come in and, and, and do this. Like this was some kind of reward for being good that week. That's not, what the, that's not at all. Here, the only person who, in a sense, might be unworthy is a person who doesn't think they need this, who this doesn't do any good for them. They're, but anybody who needs this, who wants Jesus who's curious, and whatever you, wherever you are on that, you're invited to an open table to experience his broken body and his shed blood. On this side will be a juice and a gluten-free option for you. Well, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for our adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what is seen, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. <laughs> 